Hello. Hello. <laughs> How do you start each week? I figure that's a good way to start. Hello. I wanted to start by sharing some uh, new members with you and um, wanted you to be a part of welcoming them. So at our church, we, um, <clears throat> we have a membership process. And what you find out in the Bible is in the New Testament that Christians were actually, um, followers of Christ were actually connected and contributing part of local churches in these little towns where churches were sprouting up. And so um, I wanted to introduce four new members to you. I think some of them may be in here. Um, actually, we introduced three of them were in the first service, so it might just be one. But here is um, the names. Ryan Lewis, Raven Gray, Micah, and Kristen Walker. If any of you are in here, would you just stand? You can stand up and you sit back down. And there's one. There's Raven. Okay. We have the other three, I think, in the first service. And so... Um, Thank you. It takes courage to be the only one to stand up. So, uh, but there really is this um, partnership idea in in the scripture about your your Christian um, your Christian faith. For those people who follow Christ, they're they're they were connected, and so we want to have that same pattern in church life, where we give people an opportunity to actually connect and to be committed to some things with us as we seek to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us as a church. So, um, want to pray. Uh, for, for these new members and for Ravens, since you're the only one in here, I'll pray for you. And uh, so let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives, in the life of our church. Thank you for uh, Raven and Ryan and Mike and Kristen and their decision to commit as, as members to OCC. I pray that you would, um, through our, our church, Lord, that we would um, keep our commitments to these new members, to live in a way that honors you, to relate in a way that is pleasing to you, in bounds, biblically, Lord. And um, Lord, I, I pray that um, these new members would also be able to use their gifts to serve others in our church, and that you'd also use them to help others to come to know you and um, become fully devoted followers of Christ. And, and I, Lord, we just uh, we thank you for what you're doing and how you continue to bring people our way who, um, who decide to band with us to accomplish the mission um, that you've given us as a church. And I pray um, that you continue to do that, God, and help help us to uh, be a place where people can investigate um, faith in Christ and to get questions answered, to build real meaningful relationships, and then to find a place to, to plug in and connect. I pray that um, we continue to see that in the life of our church. We thank you for how you've been working. And we, right now we just, we just invite you to speak to us through your word as we look at um, the fourth heart attitude. And we just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been looking as a church at our core values, and so we call our core values at this church the heart attitudes. And so heart attitude one, we looked at three weeks ago, it is this. We have seven that core values, and so we've been really t- talking about these because this is who we are, this is how we relate and to each other as, as a church. These things work for your family, they work for your friendships, they certainly work for, for church life because these were commands, New Testament commands, these statements are built upon what we find in the Scriptures. So this first one, put the goals and interests of others above my own, is a decision that, that you, you make. You know, It's a decision to say, okay, these people are, um, though they're different, though that, you know, they have different goals and interests than mine, I'm seeking to be willing you know, over time to put their interests ahead of my own. And this, this, this requires getting past ourselves. This is serving people. This is loving and caring for people when needs come up. This is real practical. This is not just, yeah, this is, that's great, I love to say I'm about that. But it really is, 
when you when you hear of needs, it's getting involved in helping to meet those needs. It's a very practical thing. You see this come up in groups, in ministry teams, just as you get to know people in relationships. That's the first one. Second one is live an honest and open life before others. And it, it involves taking off the mask that we like to hide behind, the person that we like others to think we are, the, the person we like to present, and just deciding, I'm going to take that off and let people know who I really am. I'll be open and honest. And I use discretion, but I, I'm open and honest. This is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, the key verse that we looked at a few weeks ago, which is, you know, to put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to one another, for we are all members of one body. If we're one body, then we need to know who we are. We need to know who, who's in the body, what's going on in the body, what, what you're dealing with. If we're all just presenting a, a, a false impression, then we all go around relating to these plastic people that don't really exist. And so this is a really important hard attitude. The third one is give and receive scriptural correction. This involves just being open to, to let others speak into my life as they see need, as I'm headed towards dangerous things, or maybe as I need some motivation or some encouragement, warning, I'm giving people the freedom to say, hey, you're headed towards disaster. If you continue on with that pattern in your life, you're going to run over your family. You're going to ruin your family. Your life is is headed towards a cliff. That's what this involves. Or it's when I see someone headed towards the cliff, or, or maybe they're just, they've given up and they've sat down and stopped moving forward, then I come beside them and I call them forward that's the giving scriptural correction. It's, it's this idea where I come up alongside people and I, and I urge them forward. So those first three um, that we've looked at, <clears throat> they, they're, they're like boundaries. This, this fourth one is on the back of your listening guide. You can just peek on the back. It's right in the middle. OCC hard attitude number four is clear up relationships. And that's, that's where we're going. That's what we're going to look at. And why we need to do this is because... <laughs> This first point at the top of your listening guide. Serious threats exist in the normal course of relationships. So just assembling people to try to do church together and to have relationships that work, small groups, ministry teams, even just a Sunday gathering requires that we understand that just because of our native selfishness and, and, and arrogance, that, that means that threats exist for us. Look at Ephesians 4.30. The passage in a chapter of Scripture where Paul is talking about unity in the church, Paul says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's talking to the church and he's saying, he's saying there's things that we could do that could make God grieve, God's Spirit grieve. What you find out in the Bible is that whenever you decide to turn your life over to God, you stop going your way and you turn and do life God's way. That's called repentance. Whenever you do that, God places His Holy Spirit inside of you. He takes up residence in your life. And He seals you for the day of redemption. In a, in a sense, He marks you or He brands you. Just like if I was a rancher and I had cattle, and I, and I branded my cattle, those belong to me. Though they may wander off, they belong to me. If someone finds them, oh, they belong to Him. You, you have been marked and branded by the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is your mark and brand. He's your seal for the day of redemption. That day of redemption is referring to the day when your body, you're delivered from this body, this earthly, mortal body, this broken, sinful body. You will be redeemed from this. I will be redeemed from this state. And it either is that it's the day that I die, or it's the day that Christ returns to take me home. But I've been sealed. I've been bought and sealed by Him. 
But we can grieve the Spirit of God who lives inside of us, is what we learn. So the Spirit of God, he, He's actually what He provides the power for us to live the Christian life. And so anytime we do things that grieve Him, what it is is we're kind of like putting a kink in the hose. The power source is we're on limited power supply when we do things, when we operate in ways that grieve Him. And so Paul, he says this, and it's kind of sandwiched, verse 30 is kind of sandwiched in between um, a couple of thoughts. Verse 29, he's talking about there, that we can say words that are unwholesome and hurtful. Don't build others up. They tear people down. And he says, when you do that, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But then he goes into this next list of things, and he says this. He says, get rid of all bitterness. These are some of the old ways, the old patterns that grieve the Spirit of God. When we do these things, it's like we're unplugging from the power source. We lose the, we lose the power to live the Christian life. We're still sealed for the day of redemption. That's, that's, that's not something that we need to be concerned about. We're still going to heaven. But the power, you know, the power level is limited. And so here's all the things that really do that. Get rid of all bitterness, rage. Bitterness is, is this smoldering resentment. It's where we're so fired up on the inside that any other thing that they say to me makes me just want to snap or bite. It's, it's this deep, smoldering resentment. I've not let it go. I'm just ready to blow up. I'm ready to bite. I'm ready to snap. Rage is is passion of the moment. It's not so much it's just we just we have a moment of rage, you know. It was we read about this sometimes in the paper, you know. It wasn't like him. He's not like that. He just it, he gave into rage. Goes on and says in anger, this is more of the old ways. Anger is a subtle internal smoldering. We all deal with anger. Brawling. Brawling is public outbursts. It reveals when we've lost control. If you've ever gotten in a fist fight and you just, it, you know, it's, I lost control myself. Or slander. Slander is ongoing defamation of another person and it's fueled by bitterness. I'm just, I feel the need to slander people. I feel the need to, to let other people know what these people are doing wrong. You know, it's, I just, along with every form of malice. Malice is just a general term for evil. But when you look at this list of things that grieve the Spirit, who comes to mind? Don't say their name out loud. But do you have someone in your mind? Just show of hands. Do you have anybody in your mind? How many of you would say that person you're thinking of is you? Okay. There's one. All right. You know, most of the time when we think about this list, we think of other people. I, you know, I think of all you guys, you know. You think of me. You think of your family, your friends. I don't typically think of, wow, I read the Scripture, and wow, that's like a mirror to my own life. Wow, i got some of that in me. I think of other people typically first. I don't tend to think of myself. What I want to encourage you to do is we look at this hard attitude. Because when it comes to clearing up relationships, we have to look in the mirror because this whole hard attitude of clearing up relationships can be completely one-sided if you don't get honest about your own stuff. If you're not honest with yourself about where you struggle. If you're constantly wanting people to clear things up with you, and you're always saying, wow, they're always the problem. I'm right with people. They're always wrong with me. Well, then you're probably not looking in the mirror because this list, I think, is intended to be a personal list that we take inventory on our own selves. But whenever we operate in any of these ways, two things happen. One is we lose power. There's a loss of power. And second, we put everyone in our life at risk. Because bitterness and all these things are like cancer that take over our relationships. And the longer we delay dealing with them, 
the harder it is to deal with them. The more at risk and damage and, and potential damage could come to your even healthy relationships because bitterness spreads like cancer, we're told. So we need to clear things up. In the next verse, what we learn is this. Forgiveness is what actually leads us out of the danger zone. It's what, it's what helps us deal with these natural threats. It's forgiveness, learning how to forgive people. So Paul says in the very next verse, Ephesians 4.32, he says, So be kind. This is, how you, this is what pleases the Spirit of God. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Why? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. So he introduces a few things. First, kindness and compassion. To be kind to someone means to be useful to them. The, the word literally has to do with being employed or useful. You're, you're actually thinking about what is it they need. I want to be useful to them. So all of us have needs. All of our relationships, people in our lives, they have other needs. And so to be kind to someone is, what would, what would it be? How could I be useful to them? How could I be useful to this friend, to that person in my group? to the things I know they're dealing with. And then compassionate, the word compassionate, literally it means, it's, it's a strange word, it means bowels of compassion. Bowels of compassion. It's a deep empathy for someone's need. It's like, it's like you let what other people are going through really get to you in the, in the stomach. It's like it gets you in the gut because you really allow other people's struggles and needs and hurts to really, really impact you internally. This is when you empathize for people at a very deep level. Compassion is, is to do that. It's when someone's life is falling apart, it's where we actually, it gets to us. We lose sleep because we see people going through things. If you don't do this, if we don't have compassion, it's very easy to just wall people off and to not care when we hear about their problems, their needs, their, their difficulties that they're facing. And then thoughts or, or statements come out of our mouth like, don't tell me that again. I know, I know, I know. I've heard you're struggling. Everyone knows. I certainly know. We can just cut people off. We can wall people off. Or we think in our minds, man, save it for someone who really cares. Because I'm done caring. I know, I know. That's when we've lost compassion. And that actually, that 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 puts us in a position where those other things of of that other list that grieves the spirit becomes very, very possible. We kind of put ourselves in a position where we can move towards the wrong things in ways that really don't please God. Or we can move towards the things that really, really please Him. And He fuels through His power those things to keep moving forward. So kindness and compassion, what they do is they help you really connect to the people around you. And then forgiveness is what brings healing when things get broken. How many of you struggle with admitting it when you've blown it? I mean, I do. I, I, I'm very stubborn. I do not like to admit it when I've done wrong. And it's like, I feel like I've got to, I gotta, just got to, it's just hard to crawl out of the hole that I feel like I'm in and I don't want to admit it. Well, forgiveness, the way it's obtained is through confession. We admit it. We admit that we're not perfect. To get forgiven by God is this idea of, I've admitted to God that I've blown it. I've went my own way in life. I haven't done what He's wanted. I've chosen my way. I've, I've, and I confess that to Him. Forgiveness is the idea of in relationships in a church is I'm going to have to do this over and over and over again. And so we're reminded in the last part of this verse is forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. This is what motivates us to keep forgiving people is that God in Christ forgave us all. Or for those of us who know him and have yielded our lives to him, it's in Christ we've been forgiven. So specifically, 
Look at this. How does God forgive? Just some reminders, or maybe this may be new. How does God forgive first? If you've been forgiven by Him, if, if you've received Him into your life, then here's what happens. First, He releases us from the obligation of our wrong. This is what happens. Since God created us, He made us, He made us to, be, <clears throat> to live a certain way. And whenever we don't live up to God's plan, what we do is we dishonor the God who made us. Anytime I choose to rebel, I dishonor the God who made me. In other words, when I sin, my rebellion piles up a huge debt that I owe God. Just I'm stacking up this because of my rebellion. I stack up this debt that I owe Him. And so 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, really this verse is talking about the life of sin we've lived. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we have this debt, this sin debt that we owe God. It's piled up against Him. And so it says, when we confess our sins, confess means to say the same thing. The Greek word, the original language, just means to say the same thing. Confess means, if God says, and this is what it means to lie, and that's a sin. And this is what it means to be bitter, and that's a sin. And in my mind, I think, that's not that bad. It's just this, it's just that. When I confess it is to say, these things I've been doing that I want to minimize, that's a sin, and I agree with you, God. That's wrong. That's displeasing to you. That's sin. I call that sin. That's what it means to confess, to say the same thing that God says about something. And then when we do that, Scripture says that when we come to Him, we confess our life of sin, God forgives us, which literally means He sends it away. That's what He's done. He no longer... You know, we're no longer obligated to pay for that sin anymore, which is the second thing. He doesn't keep a record. He doesn't keep this long list. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. It says, All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We don't use the word reconciliation a lot. It kind of means restore. When something needs to be reconciled, it's been broken and it needs to be restored, put back together. And so... This is from God who's reconciled us to Himself through Christ. And He's given us this ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He's committed us to the message of reconciliation. God has not counting. He, this is what happens. When we come together, when we're brought back together, when we're restored in fellowship, He does not count our sins against them. We tend to... Th- to think that if we sin and we do wrong, we can just make up for all the bad debt that we've owed by just putting marks of good things on another side. And so we're trying to keep record of all the good stuff we're doing. Humanly speaking, though, all of my sin and all of your sin leaves this indelible stain on our souls that can only be dealt with through God's forgiveness in the person of Christ. His work on the cross, that's how we're reconciled, we find out. And God, He doesn't keep a record of our sins. God actually makes a decision to refuse to remember our sins. And it's not that now none of us can really forget things completely, but he refuses to remember and hold us or obligates us or he doesn't he doesn't he will not punish, which is the next thing here. Finally he rescues us from the wrath we deserve. First Thessalonians one, he's Paul speaks to a church here and he, he gives this report because everyone around is hearing about just the life change that's happening in this church and so Paul says For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols. This is a church. They turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from the coming wrath. So 
Those who refuse to repent, those who live their lives and refuse to repent, have God's wrath waiting them, waiting for them. It's awaiting. Anybody who chooses to, re, you know, just to rebel and never repent and turn away from that, God's wrath is waiting for them, and they're 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 awaiting that. But the scripture here actually says, whenever we decide to follow Christ, we're waiting for something different. Rather than waiting for His wrath, we're waiting for His return. We're waiting for Him to come and rescue us from the coming wrath. He's our deliverer. He comes and rescues us for what would have come. And this is how God forgives. He does not pour His wrath out on us when we would have deserved it. You know, But when we turn to Him, He rescues us from that. So to forgive other people, that whole ex- how do we do that? We have to look at what God has done to us. That's how we learn how to relate long-term to people. Is we look at what He's done and then we, then we think, okay, how does that apply to my relationships? So, very practically first, the way that we forgive is we release them or other people from having to pay for their wrong. This is a really difficult thing to do because we really know how to make people pay for when they've done wrong to us, don't we? We know how to be bitter and cold shoulder. We know how to withdraw. We know how to give people the silent treatment. We know how to blow up. We know how to give dirty looks. We're pretty skilled at making people pay. And so we have to release them from that when we really forgive. Second, we refuse to rehearse the memories of what they did to us. We refuse to just keep running that tape because when we're hurt, it's very natural to just rehearse what was said to me and what was done to me and to just play that tape over in my mind. Anytime I see them, I have that conversation again or I have that interaction again. And I just keep rehearsing that tape and it's, it's stuck in my mind over and over, year after year. We burn and we see them. We're, we just play that recording over and over. What we need to do is we need to hit the stop button. And we need to yank out that tape or CD. We need to break it. We need to fling it like a Frisbee. And we need a new CD and we put in. And we start dwelling on the right types of things. We need to begin to run a different thought process. Just refuse to rehearse those things. Let go the next thing. Let go of the feelings and the thoughts of resentment. Now, a lot of us have been hurt very, very deeply by others. And you may need the help of others to work through that. And that, that's okay. We want, we want to be a place where you can have conversations with people who can come alongside you and help you work through difficult things, ways you've been hurt. You may need to really pray about, how do I do this? I don't even know what I can dwell on. Well, maybe, you know, opening up with someone. Maybe people can help you think through what it is you can be dwelling on rather than rehearsing the old stuff. But then letting go of the feelings, the thoughts. Some people nurse thoughts of hurt for so long, for the way it makes them feel. And you almost can't imagine what life would be like to not be angry at that person or to just not be an angry person because you're so bent out of shape over certain things. Galatians 5, Paul tells us when we're stuck in that place, we need to crucify the old ways, the old sinful patterns of wanting to take revenge or wanting them to get what you think they deserve. Paul says we have to stick a knife in some of those thoughts and feelings that are destructive to us. The fourth thing, though, don't make them face our wrath. Don't blow up in their face. Be calm. Just decide God knows what they need. God knows what they deserve. I'm going to let God be the judge of them. I'm not going to... They don't have to face my wrath. I'll just trust the Lord with this. Another thing is no longer counted against them. This is very difficult. Burn the scorecard is the idea here. Rather than thinking, well, that's another one. Keeping score. Take our little scorecard out. Interact some more. 
Oh, that's another one. We have no idea they're keeping score. Then it all comes out because it comes out eventually. And you realize, wow, they've been keeping score. Or we've been keeping score. I mean, so we need to burn the scorecard. This is how we forgive in these very practical ways. But before we move on, forgiveness and trust are, are really two different things. And so maybe you've been hurt in the past. Forgiveness does not mean that you just walk in, clear it up, and then trust that person fully from there on out. Maybe they've hurt you in a way that you need to set up some boundaries. Maybe you need to set up some protective boundaries in the way that you relate to a person in the future who has continually hurt you in a certain way. We're not just saying to practice this hard attitude means just forgive and be stupid. Just go ahead and be stupid. What we're really saying is you cannot afford to not deal with unforgiveness and bitterness. It will ruin your life. It will ruin your relationships. It is like a cancer. You have to have a commitment to, to giving forgiveness and then you know, extending, or I'm sorry, seeking it from others. So this next part is really how do we do that? How do we seek forgiveness? First, take full responsibility for your wrong before God and others. You see this in the story of the prodigal son. It's a parable. You get this little picture. This rebellious son, this is what he says to his father when he comes back to him. He says, the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven, meaning I sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. He didn't just feel like he needed to clear it up with God, but he also realized I needed to clear it up with the person. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he calls it sin. He takes responsibility. This shows us how to make things right with other people. Whenever we blow it, whenever we sin against someone, we have to work really hard not to explain it away or downplay it, don't we? We have to work really hard because we all seem to have this defense mechanism that's built into us to to explain things away. I know I do. And when I'm... Sensing I've done wrong, you know, I tend to think, well, I was having a bad day. We all have bad days. And so I might go to the person and say, I was kind of having a bad day back there. It was a bad day. You wouldn't believe what happened to me. So I think you understand why I blew up on you. Or, or why I, you know, yelled at you, cussed at you, why I smacked you, why, I, you know, I think you'd understand. You probably had a bad day too. We minimize it in the way we say it. Or, I know that really landed wrong. It seems like what I said offended you. So, I didn't really mean that. Or, I'm sorry if you were offended because of this. We belittle the person rather than take responsibility for the sin. So, we really need to rehearse what we're going to say before we even say it. And we need to keep rehearsing it until it's actually taking a responsibility. Us taking responsibility in full. And that looks like something like this. The Lord has convicted me that what I said to you was sin, it was wrong, and would you forgive me? You know, what I said to you was a lie. It wasn't truthful. And that was wrong. Would you forgive me for... I need to clear this up. It's not just enough to say, hey, I'm sorry, man. I really blew it. But that's, again, what tends to come up very naturally to us. Here's some other thoughts. Whenever you confess, make sure that the circle of confession matches the circle of commission, meaning the people that were actually affected by what you did. In these ways, first, confess to God if you've done no external wrong. That's who you need to confess to. If you've thought bad thoughts about someone, but you haven't done anything with it, there's no, they have no idea you're mad at them or that there's a problem there, just confess that to God. If you've only had the bitter attitudes, wrong thoughts, just clear it up between you and God. Second, though, confess to a person. If you've done wrong in action towards them or words towards them, make it right. Clear it up. And be specific. Call it sin. That what I did, what I said, that was wrong, that was sin. Would you forgive me? 
Third, confess to a group if you've done wrong to a whole group. This is not fun. I've had to do this. You might be in a small group, ministry team or a group, and you're, you, let's say you just decide to, you know, the pride wells up and you're thinking, I gotta, this is my time to shine right here. And so you, you start talking. And you know how we get when we're in groups. You start talking. People start one-upping each other. And you realize, wow, I just really operated in my pride there. And I really, or I took, I was subversive towards the leader by taking the group in a different direction. Or I didn't, you know, if, I, if I've done something like that in front of a group, then you clear it up before the group. You know, I just feel like I need to straighten this out before all of you. I said this and I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And that may seem stupid to do, <clears throat> but as far as finding a way to move on, these things, if you don't, you tend to, we'll look at it in a moment, you tend to have the issue of, over time, searing your conscience towards things that is displeasing to God. And you want to have a heart that's soft towards the things of God and not downplay sin. Another thing is confess a bad example if you've done wrong in front of a group. Let's say you're on the job and you work with a handful of people that, that don't walk with God, they live lives that are far from God, and you, they know you're a follower of Christ and you've set a poor example in some way, something you did, something you said, and his reputation, maybe God's reputation may have been damaged through it, then clear it up before the group. Just say, you know what, I shouldn't have said that. You know, and would she, I, I don't want to live my life that way and I, that, that's not... I wasn't helpful, and I just want to ask you guys if you'd forgive me. These things are right. This is how we clear up relationships. Here's another question to consider. Who goes first? Because this is always a big question. Well, it's the one who notices. If I have a problem with someone else, or they have a problem with me, sometimes we think, well, whoever's at fault needs to get this thing straightened out. Well, look at what the verses say. Matthew 18:15 says, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you... Go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, and then you've won your brother over. In this case, it's their fault. Your brother sins against you. It's their fault. It's his fault, but you notice. It's his fault, but you notice. Look at the next verse, Matthew 5.23. Jesus says, Therefore, if you're at worship or you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. In this case, he says, it's your fault. You're at church, and you realize... Oh man, I just realized that that you know they seem to be withdrawing. There seems to be a problem there. They gave me this look or this. There's just something not right. So it's my fault. Oh, I know what it is. I did this. As soon as I notice, so it's it's their fault, but I notice. It's my fault, but I notice. It's not a matter of fault. It's a matter of who notices first that there's something wrong. The priority is the relationship. Whenever I notice there's a real problem, then I need to get initiating to reconcile. Another thing that God requires us to do, if we can, is make restitution, if it's appropriate. This is very anti-American. This is not something we look at all that often in church life or think through, but I want to encourage you to consider this. It's not always possible to make restitution when you've wronged someone, but sometimes it involves lying, cheating, stealing, damaging other people's stuff. And, and this is an opportunity to make restitution. Numbers chapter 5, this is an Old Testament verse. God says to his people, Say to the Israelites, When a man or a woman wrongs another in any way and is so unfaithful to the Lord, that person, he's guilty, and he must confess the sin. So we start with confession, getting it right, reconciling. Confess the sin he's committed. Then he must make full restitution for his wrong, adding one-fifth to it, and give it all to the person he has wronged. So if you've damaged something, 
that belongs to someone else or you cheated or stole. You know, the, the idea is make it right. You can't always do this. Sometimes people, so much time passes sometimes when we realize, wow, I really made, I need to do something about this. It's bugging me. It keeps coming up. For some reason, year after year, I keep thinking I, I owe, you know, this person that act. Um, the next verse is really interesting. It's not up on the screen, but the very next verse says, if you can't make restitution to the person directly, then go to their nearest relative and make it to them. Let's say the person's died. Pay it to their children. Give it back to them. You're clearing yourself up in, in doing this. So the restitution step, it includes this penalty. It's interesting. He says in, in this verse, add one-fifth. The reason why is because it's a deterrent for future offenses. It costs you something when you realize, wow, I made it right. I'm making it right. This cost me something. It reminds me. I don't want to, do, I don't want to damage others. I don't want to damage their stuff. Now, this is a law, and, and honestly, we're in the New Testament. You know, we, we talk about, well, it's Old Testament. We can not have to worry about that. It's New Testament. In the New Testament, you find Zacchaeus. He's this tax collector who cheated people. He cheated his own people. He has this interaction with Jesus, decides to, to you know, turn his life to Christ. And experiences real life change. And the mark, the evidence of, of this new life. Jesus says, man, salvation has truly come to this man's house. Why? Because Zacchaeus says, everyone I've, you know, he says, half of my possessions, I'm giving it to the poor. Because he knew he didn't belong to him anyway. He cheated people for a living. So he gives half of what he had to the poor. And then he says, anyone that I've cheated, I'm going to pay them back four times what I, what I cheated them. And then Jesus says, wow, truly salvation has come to this man's house. Real life change. The evidence of real life change in our lives is that we're willing to even make restitution when we've done wrong to get it right. And honestly, sometimes you can't. <clears throat> sometimes there's no way to make restitution for some of the things we've done. And all we can do and need to do is to say, that was wrong what I said to you or what I said about you. Or when I, when I did this. That was wrong. Would you forgive me? And all we can say is just call it sin, take responsibility, ask them to forgive us, and move on. Not always a restitution step that needs to be made, but consider this. So these hard attitudes, these are boundaries. These, these protect our relationships. They allow us to make long-term, to have long-term relationships. If you look back in your life and all you have is nothing but ruined relationships, and you have very long, you have very, uh, short-term relationships, and you don't have a lot of long-term friends, then you might consider, okay, there's probably something in this area that I need to start doing differently. This might be an area that I need to give a lot of attention to. Because we can have, God has provided a way for us to have, experience long-term relationships, even in church life. Things can get difficult in church life. And you might think, well, how is that possible? Stick around for a while and relate to people. And, and you, you see because we're all people and we all struggle with things and there's things that come up that need to get straightened up. So that's hard attitude four. Clear up relationships. Look again at what he says in Matthew 5. You already saw this verse. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar there, you remember that your brother has something against you. Look at what he says. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So clearing up relationships, it's a priority, even over worship. Sometimes we think, oh, I hurt this person or I did this bad thing. I need to go to church to make it right. And our attendance in church, in our mind, becomes the cleansing process. I'm singing some songs. I'm lifting my hands. I'm clapping. I'm smiling. I feel good. What he says, oh yeah, I'm going to work that in somehow. And we've done our duty in a sense, spiritually we think. And I, I've absolved the problem. I've taken care of it. Our church attendance does not take care of 
these kinds of things. What takes care of it is leave your gift there in front of the altar. It's like leave church. Go straighten it out. When you notice there's a problem, go be reconciled. Then go back to church and worship. This is more of a priority. It's not something we get to back burner. That's why Romans 12.18 says this, Therefore, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can't control if someone's going to forgive you or if they're willing to reconcile. But be willing on your part to check in, to see what can be done. Clearing up relationships, it's an important key to having a clear conscience and to really be able to have long-term relationships. If you're struggling, if, you're, if you feel like, I don't sleep well at night. I go to bed and I constantly have broken and strained relationships and interactions on my mind. That's because those things, you need to settle those things by clearing those things up. It's an indicator that's to get to work on some reconciliation. I want to invite the band to come up. and This heart attitude kind of wraps up the first, the first four heart attitudes that we that we have in our church and all four of these are we call them our relational values these protect relationships the next three are organizational values the ways that that the members in our church commit to support the 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 work of the ministry the church as an organization i'd encourage you to really consider taking one of these next steps Um, in a few moments our ushers will be receiving our tithes and our offerings and as they come by um, drop this white card in there. But take a look at these next steps on the back of this. Maybe memorize Ephesians 4.32. The next one would be to really forgive someone who has hurt me. Maybe you've not really forgiven them. Maybe you just you had a conversation, but you really have not let it go. You're still rehearsing the memory of what they did. And you think back to what it is that we have done to God by dishonoring Him and that he, you know, what he did, not keeping a record of our sins, not not giving us the wrath that we deserve, we, we may need to consider, okay, how do I apply that to people in my life? Or third, to seek forgiveness from someone that I've offended. Now, this is really hard. When you know, man, I was in the wrong, and I there's no way out of this. The only way out is to go have the difficult conversation and take responsibility. And I want to encourage you. Don't shrink back and let that prevent you from making progress in the rest of your life. But this will hold you back. If you refuse to, to seek forgiveness when you're in the wrong, you're, you're going to keep hitting walls of spiritual growth that you're not going to be able to make much progress. And so we want to encourage you to get things cleared up. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love, your goodness. Lord, again, the motivation for us having healthy relationships is the way you have forgiven us in Christ. The fact that we did not deserve to be forgiven. And he went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross for us. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for that. The gift of eternal life that we have. That we're awaiting the return of your Son. We're awaiting this... We're not awaiting your wrath, but Lord, thank you for that. Help us to just translate all of the realities of our own relationship with you into the ways we relate to others which you say this is a huge thing that we learn how to love others God we thank you for these things and your truth from the scripture pray you'd help us to have the courage and the wisdom to live this out this week it's in Jesus name we pray amen